Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Well, friends, I hope you have your Bibles. If you have them, uh, open them to uh, Isaiah chapter 43. That's where we'll start, but we'll be a bunch of other places. Isaiah chapter 43. Um, as you're turning there, I want to tell you this, that... Um, for the, the, probably the rest of the year, at least the, the, the rest of the fall. Can you believe it's almost fall, right? Um, the, uh, can you believe that the, the, the Washington football team is going to beat the Eagles today? Can you believe that? All right, it's fall. Um, the, uh, miracles do happen. Um, the, uh, but we're going to be speaking on, on the basics of the faith, basics of Christianity, there's a lot of things about Christianity that I'm, I'm not even sure we know. I'm not sure the last time, well, ask yourself this, when is the last time that I shared the best news in the universe with another soul? When is the last time that I spent an hour in agonizing prayer on my knees for my neighbors to be converted to Jesus? Um, when is, there's a lot of when is the last time kind of thing. I don't mean to say that by, uh, to, to shame us. I mean to say that to inspire us to return to the basics. The, the Washington football team needs to learn how to block and tackle again. And the church needs to learn what the basics of following Jesus are again. We really do. Uh, the church has turned into something that it was never intended to be. Uh, it was, it's always supposed to been, be a family, not a business. It's always supposed to be the answer, not the problem. Uh, the church has always, it has always had the solution. It has not been a, a people that kind of wall up and hide in fear. <laughs> the church is, is supposed to be way more alive, way more scary to darkness. Then, then we are. And if we, if we have the kind of mentality that just says, well, church is supposed to be the place where I go and people make much of me and see me and do things for my kids. Like, we want to do things for your kids. We want to see you. That's good. It's just not the point. Okay? Just not the point. We must return to the basics. And here's the basic that I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the very, 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 very basic Biblical principle called the glory of God. The glory of God. Uh, if you've been around church, like I, I'm a pastor's kid, uh, and I grew up in church, and sometimes if someone in the, in the front row, because the front row, that, that's, the, that's the wild, crazy people, right? Like these guys right here, do you see them? Sometimes someone in the front row, if it got quiet, would shout, glory! Right? And we do that here. That's one of my favorite parts. Uh, unless you're Pastor Keith, and then you just show, yeah, you know, and it's, it's, it scares the kids, you know, but I love it, you know. Um, the, uh, <laughs> now you won't know who that is. Uh, but uh, there is, there, there's something about God that you, you've, you've got to cry out uh, when you are uh, encountered by his glory. Now, here's the problem. I'm not 100% sure that any of us could define what the glory of God is. We say it. If somebody says, hey, good job preaching, we look for the response that says, oh, to God be the glory. But what are you actually looking for? What does that actually mean, to God be the glory? What does it mean when you shout, glory, or when you don't? 
What does it mean if, if, if you don't care at all about the glory of God? The Bible speaks of glory on almost every page. And here we are in the church using words that we don't know. That, that's not good. We're going to change this. We're going to get back to the basics. Anybody? Okay. The, uh, I don't know if you, if you do a little easy reading and you read catechisms. Anybody? Anybody read some catechisms? Maybe some creeds of Christendom? Anybody? Okay. Um, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks a question, and here's the first question that it asks. It asks this. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is life's most foundational purpose? In other words, when somebody is born, what is the direction? What is the reason for their existence in the world? What is the chief end of man? And then they answer that question saying, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. These were men and women from hundreds of years ago that got glory. They understood it. Many times, many times, and we, it's C.S. Lewis that said for every new book you read, like read like five old ones. We've got to go back to some people that actually had a fire in their belly for the glory of God and learn from them. See, so what, what they're saying is if the chief end of man is to glorify God, that's often where we stop. And we don't get how to enjoy, uh, how to glorify God. But the people who wrote the Westminster Shorter Catechism did. It's hard to say that. Westminster Shorter Catechism, say that 12 times, to glorify God. And how do we do that? By enjoying him. By enjoying him. Now that goes in stark contrast to many of our definitions of what glory is. Often we say, oh, the way that you glorify God is basically by doing what you don't want to do. By, by forcing yourself and willing yourself to just show up. But the glory of God demands that our hearts are alive to the person of God. To glorify God is not just to say the right things. Glory from the front row. It is not just to show up at the right places. It is not just to have the right membership at the right church in the right denomination. The glory of God is having your whole life wrecked by his greatness, and then alive to him, so he is your greatest delight, joy, desire, treasure, everything. Everything. So my concern is that we're very foggy on this. We're very fuzzy on this. We actually think that, that the, what glorifies God the most is what we, what we dislike the most. And we formed a Christianity that says, you don't have to enjoy God, you just have to obey him. But who wants to be a, a, a father or mother that way? Who, who wants to have a spouse that says, I don't like you, I just put up with you? That's in home, man. I felt that. <laughs> felt that. Well, yeah, that's my experience, pastor. Well, God's got bigger dreams for you. Nobody is going to, you know that, that uh, Sarah and Bennett are going to be at the altar soon? You know that? You know that? <laughs> and I know them. What, what is so awesome at an altar, because I've been to lots of them, is, is, the, is the powerful connection between the two they're not just getting into contractual agreement. They're excited to ditch this place and get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is, 
the, the desire for God, the want for him, the enjoying him almost sounds anti-Christian today. It's not even on our radar. And I think that God wants to awaken hearts again to how good he is, how wonderful he is, what a treasure he is, what a treasure he is. The, the, the reality that, that Jesus is the treasure of the universe, that's what we say. It means this, that, that, that Jesus is worth more than anything else, more valuable than anybody else. In fact, he's so great that you combine all the riches of this world and they're not even in the same category as God. And then God does this. He says, he says I want to pour out my glory. I want you to see how good I am. I don't want you just to know it. I don't want you just to feel it. I want you to be wrapped up in, the, in, the, in my divine perfections and enjoy me. This is what God says. So Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7, here's the cry of a father. And then, then look at of the father. Look at verse 21 as well. Here's what God says. Here's what, this is his inspired word. <laughs> this is the holy scriptures. Let this get in. God says, bring my sons from afar. You want to see just another way that I'm obsessed with God's, God's church being family, not business. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. So anybody that's spread out and not home, I want them back. Want them back. Bring them in. Sons and daughters, bring them back. Bring them back. Everyone who is called by my name or a part of my family, God says, whom I created for my glory. Did you notice when I start preaching, the tent starts flapping. You see this? Glory. Glory. Yes. <laughs> this is getting windy. Huh. Whom I created, listen, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. It goes on to say in verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Wow. That's Old Testament. <laughs> I, we don't need a, I don't even like worship. Well, it's not about music. It's not about if you like it. It's about your heart actually being alive to your creator. This is, this is glory. I, I went to, to school in Chicago at an older institution, and they, they didn't, they, the, the music there was old school and uh, a comedy on an organ, and then they combined some urban Chicago type inner city music, it wasn't my style. But if it was about Jesus, I went for it. Because we have to decide in worship, are we worshiping styles or are we worshiping the person of Jesus? So here, here Isaiah is prophesying. Bring my sons from afar. I want everybody back. And here's the purpose for which I'm calling people home. Because number one, I created these people. Hey, if you, if you are wondering if you have any value in your life, listen to this. God formed you and created you. He formed you and created you. And he did it with purpose in mind. He made you for himself, for his glory. That's why he formed and made you. And then verse 21, the people whom I formed, is there any question for who we are formed by? No. 
God formed us. Then he goes on to say, this time, not just for my glory, but for myself, that they might declare my praise. Now, this is really similar to what, uh, what, what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he's penning the book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 to 18 where this is describing Jesus and it says this for by him all things were created it's interesting how Exodus the second book of the Bible and Colossians something thousands of years written thousands of years later years later just happens to line up <laughs> For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and listen, and for him. You're not going to live a life that is a head-on collision with the glory of God if your soul's ambition is to make much of yourself. You were not created to be the center of the universe. You were created to make much of he who is the center. I'm, ner I'm nervous, listen, let me go off on a rabbit trail for a second and depart from my notes and then I'll finish this part. But I'm nervous for how we describe what the Christian life is these days. And we basically oftentimes make God a tool that, that we use to make ourselves feel good. He's not a tool, he's the treasure. He, he's not a means, he's the goal. In fact, he's so big that he's the means and the goal. He, he's the way that you get there, and he's the de destination once you arrive. He, he is everything. And he loves you so much, he, he bestows value on you. But, but he does not make you the center. He allows you to make him the center. And that is when your heart comes most alive. Ooh, man. Glory. Come on. So, oh, I'm in Thessalonians now. Um, okay, there we go. Where are we? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, or in other words, that in everything, in everything that he has created, he is going to be. Here's how he set it up. He is going to be supreme. He is going to be preeminent. He is going to be the focus. He is going to be the treasure. This is what this means. And so this morning, if I'm asking you, what does it mean to glorify God? And I, would, I, I wanna start right here. Here's where you start when it comes to the glory of God. It's you have to take second fiddle fast. And you have to get off the throne and put Jesus on. And you have to come to the realization that the purpose of your life is not to be the center of anything. In fact, God calls, God calls um, people in the body to die to themselves to, to make others look better. This is, the, the Christian life is not, is not God putting you on the center and making everything about you. The Christian life is about you get to do what your heart was constructed to come alive to and that's say, wow, Jesus. Wow, you're amazing. This is the purpose of your life, not to be the center, but to make much of he who is. The quicker we get this, the more fun we have. Because that's when joy comes. The, the Bible says that God doesn't sh share his glory with anyone else. 
And so when we want to be the center, there's not a whole lot of joy in that. There's only so much joy that you can produce. But we get access to God's joy when we're like, wow, I'm looking at you. In the garden, the, in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, this, um, the, the, the part of the curse is that this reality was reversed. The design that God made. God says, trust me, enjoy the garden. Be like walking co-regents on the earth. Rule, love, have, have, grow a family. Just This is going to be great. And then what happens is that when we stepped out of the original design and we wanted to be God and say, God's holding out on us. We lost what we were created for. That's God himself. The gospel is that God says, my grace is bigger and I'm coming after you and I'm making a way back to me to put me back on the throne and you back into your position. This is good. I, I think what this means that the purpose of your life is not for you to be the sinner, but to make much of him who is the sinner. Here's a glorious truth that has rocked my world is that God wants you, not needs you. Have you ever been in somebody's life just because they need you? Have you ever been? They use you as a tool. When they're done using you, they discard you. You ever been there? No one has. All right. I have. All the time. Uh, you know, but uh, this is, in, in all reality, in truth, the, the banner that we can wave over our lives as sons and daughters is that we are wanted by God. You want to feel good today? Just know this. God doesn't need you for what you do. He wants you for who you are. He just wants you. He, you, you, were, you were created for purpose. And your ultimate purpose is not what you do in the kingdom. That, that is just a fruit that comes out once you know what you were created for. In particular, who you were created for. And that God turns you loose and sets you loose in his kingdom. Not because he needs you, but he loves to raise people up and and. Send them out and release them into the destiny that he has for their lives. You were created for relationship with God. And this is one of the crucial pieces to understanding the glory of God. The glory of God begins to be evidenced and seen and even manifested when we start getting the reality that God is on the throne and I am not. Now, uh, the Isaiah 43 also says that we're created for God's glory, and I've said all this stuff about glory, but I want to kind of dig more into what glory actually is. The word glory uh, is, uh, is kind of like the word beauty. Um, it is hard to describe. How do you describe something that's beautiful, a sunset, a child? Um, how do you describe beauty? It's, it's, uh, it's really hard to contain. It's... it's uh, it's abstract, it's, it's, it's wonderful, but our hearts long for it. Um, the, I, uh, so many of the pictures in, in, my, in my phone are they're either pictures of my family or sunsets, right? It's just because we, we love what is beautiful. Okay, so now the glory is the beauty of God. Do you know that he is beautiful beyond comparison? Above and beyond, I know it doesn't seem like a manly thing to say, but we got to get over that. Man, you like beauty, right? The glory is the, the beauty of God, the excellence of God's entire character, listen, going public to be seen. It's not a phrase that we say. Uh, it's not just 
it's not just a, a destination, like we're going to glory. We are, but that's not all it is. So glory is actually coming in our direction. God wants to pour out his glory. The glory of God is the beauty of God. How is God beautiful? He's perfect. Uh, the, the beauty of God in his attributes, the beauty of God in his greatness, the beauty of God in his excellence. One, I, I, one person said this, that the, the glory of God is, is God's holiness made visible going public. The holiness of God, all of the greatness of who God is, wrapped up, set apart, so majestic, so wonderful. The kind, of, the kind of beauty, the kind of holiness that makes Isaiah and Isaiah 6 fall to the ground and say, I'm going to die. That this is, this is, you're, this is, you're so wonderful, God. And this is God's holiness going public to be seen. That is the glory of God. Now, we, we stumble on this in the book of Exodus a lot. The book of Exodus chapter 16 verse 10 says this, that the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So what is happening there, what is, what is happening there is that the, the holiness of God, the, uh, the, the, the divine attributes of God, they're manifesting to be seen in a cloud. The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. There's nothing special about the cloud. What was special is that the glory of God was there in it. So glory is a manifestation of God's presence. And this is where, this is, no matter how much it's found in the Bible, it makes us squirm when we start talking about this. Like, no, 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 no. I like church where I know what's coming. If I have to do church where I have to see glory manifest, count me out. I'll go back to the church that I knew as a wee lad where flannel graphs are as crazy as it got. But I don't know about you, but if it's of God, I want it. I want it. If, it. if it makes my heart come alive to God more, I want it. And one of the realities of, of glory is that God is actually showing his beauty, and the intention is that we would see it. Exodus 33, 18. If you don't believe me, you should believe Moses. Where Moses is constantly, he sets up this tent of meeting. And when he goes into the tent, the glory of God falls on the tent. And all of the people watch Moses go into the tent. They watch the glory cloud come down on the tent. And they stand at their personal tent doors and worship God while Moses is talking to him. Okay? And so when Moses is in the tent... This is in the Bible. Okay, not, this wasn't a dream last night, all right? This is in the Bible. Exodus 33, 18. One of the things that Moses cries out to God as, as he is talking to him is, please, show me your glory. Please, show me your glory. Now, many commentators get squeamish about this too because the amen stopped. The wind didn't, uh, but the amens did. And many commentators get squeamish about this too. And they, they, the first thing that they say, as I've done my homework, as, I, as I've read, commentators are saying, now Moses is not asking out of selfishness here. Well, when did it become selfish to ask to see God's glory? More evidence that we don't know what it is. We were made to see God's greatness and lose our minds. 
This is, no, this is not selfishness. This is purpose. This is not selfishness. This is good theology. It's not selfish to want to see God's beauty on display in the world in your life. When did that become bad? So this is, so here, uh, Moses is saying, please show me your glory. Have you ever, I love the word please. <laughs> because it's like, it's like you ask for stuff and then you say, please give me the last piece of lasagna. Please. I really want that one. It's like almost this desperation thing. Or if, if you were so thirsty, could you please give me some water? It means I, 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 I mean business here. And Moses is saying, please, God, I want to see your glory. I really believe, guys, that, that this has nothing to do with selfishness. And, and that way I do agree with the commentators. I believe that what Moses is operating in, as, it, as he's getting around God, his heart is coming alive to his real God-designed purpose for his existence. And he says, the more I get around you, the more I want you, please, I want to see you. I want to see you. So seeing the glory of God, I believe, is the deepest cry of the human soul. That God would show up and there's something in our hearts that want to go, wow. There's, we do this for football. We do this for ping pong. Nice. You know, we, we do all of these things. When our kids score a goal, we're like, yes, we're, we're, we're Pentecostal on the soccer field only, just not in church. Like, we, we are unashamed in our affections for our kids and others if we're healthy at all. It's just when it comes to God that we get reserved. And here, here Moses is saying, please, show me. Your glory, I want to see your magnificence and lose my mind. So David says this in Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Listen, 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 listen. Let's stop missing the Bible. Here's my one thing. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord where the glory of God dwells. All right? This is how it is, where the glory of God dwells. And here's what I want to do where the glory of God dwells. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. I want to see God and ask him questions about God. This is my one thing. I want my whole life to be being with him, seeing how beautiful he is, and getting to know him better. Do you know what? So maybe you don't believe me, I get that. You don't believe Moses, okay. You don't believe David. <laughs> How about, do you believe Jesus? John chapter 17, verse 24, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he begins praying to his father for his disciples. And I think for us, if we're his disciples, we're following him. And he says this, he says, Father. See, Jesus teaches us who God is. He's he, the dad, like, Father, Father, you're awesome, you're good, Father. I desire, here's, Jesus is saying, Dad, here's your son's, your perfect son's desire. In John 17, 24, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
Father, all these people that you've given to me, I want them to see my glory. I want them to see my glory. Is this a basic that marks the church? It is so easy to skip by this. And the ways that we skip by this is straight to obedience. People can obey. Kids obey in school, not at home. (laughs) That's where the heart is. you, you You can stomach some rules that you don't like for a while. But when you let all your guards down, that's the real you. And I, I think that, that so often, like, we do our best to obey, and that's good. But if it's not coming from a place where we have seen the glory of God, now here's what happens when you see the glory of God, is your heart gets so stirred that it gets captured. And when you see how great God is, you see how stupid everything else is. When you see this is how you fight sin, with glory. Not white-knuckled obedience, but it's obedience that comes from an encounter with God's glory. God, when I encountered you, nothing else mattered. I'm gonna, I'm gonna contend to live there. God, when I encountered you, I wanted nothing other than you. Now this small little love is saying that it's better than you, but I've seen your glory and you're so much better, so I am choosing the greater over the lesser. This is how we fight our battles with glory. When I was a, a teenager, um, I would run home. I, would, I, I was a senior in high school riding the bus with freshmen and all I wanted was to get home and open my Bible and spend time with Jesus. I would be spending my, so much time with Jesus, making so many sounds up in that room that I forget to eat. eat or, uh, Philip would come knocking on the door, Nathan, mom made baked ziti. I don't care, you eat mine. He's like, oh, good. You know, so my mom would be concerned, be calling people. Nathan, when she's putting me to bed, were you crying really loud earlier? Yeah. Why? I saw Jesus' glory. Oh, okay, well, don't you want to play soccer? (laughs) Don't you want to be like a normal kid? Listen, some of your kids aren't normal. They're supernatural. And, and you are, what, you, what you actually want them to be is normal, so they fit in. Instead of out of this world, so they stand out. But I promise the time will come where you wish you would have encouraged their God sightings instead of just to be on a team. <laughs> Guys, this is, this is, God wants to be seen. He is not hiding himself. And that's why he's poured out the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, you know listen to this. This is, this is not my notes. I just got to share here. This is, I see this on every page. <laughs> like, I just, like, like, you just, it just, it's so good. Listen to this. What word is it? Um, look at this. Since we have such a hope, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting with verse 12. This, this is a little passage. Let's listen. Since we, just let your hearts feast for once, guys. Just li- listen, listen. Since we have such a hope, whose name is Jesus, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. When Moses saw the glory of God and he came off the mountain, he was shining, but, the, but it, it started fading the time he left the presence of God. 
started fading, started fading. So he's covering the fading glory. And now here Paul is saying, but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And what is the Spirit doing today? Well, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How do you change? Well, get a program. Well, as long as your program is saying, Holy Spirit, show me you today. That's gonna work. But if you're just trying, unstirred, un-anything, the the way that God transforms us is that we all with unveiled face look at the beauty of God. And that is when we're transformed to be more like him. This is, this is basics. This is foundation. This is why you, you, you do your devotions. You don't ultimately do devotions to discipline yourself. You do devotions to get happy in Jesus. The, the days that I don't, I don't live from an encounter are days that I'm living in the flesh. I mess up my life. And God wants us just to get together with him. He wants us to spend the night uh, in prayer. He wants us to fast and cry. He wants us to to skip anything or rule out anything. Maybe start with social and just get rid of it. It's keeping me from glorious endeavors. It's keeping me from the feet of Jesus. I want to see him and be undone in his presence. And I wanna lay there and cry and just say, Thank you that through the cross I get to be a part of you. Thank you that through the cross I get to be yours. Thank you that you've adopted me into your kingdom. Like who am I that I should be this blessed? And then you get happy and you get silly. And that's when you're a good husband and mother and father and pastor and whatever you do. It's got to flow out of encounter with God. I've seen the glory of God with my eyes and my heart and my whole being. And I know that God is better than every temptation combined that will come my way today. Verse 21 of Isaiah says, the people whom I formed for myself Listen, just hold on a second. The people who I have formed for myself, for your ultimate purpose, is I, I am created for relationship with God. He made me not to use me, but to want me to be known and to know for myself that they might declare my praise. So when we talk about worship around here, it's really important not because providence worship is good, which it is. Um, when we talk about worship around here, we don't, we, we don't get excited because we're trying to sell CDs. Like we're, we're you know, that's nice, but that's, that's not, I promise you that's not the goal. 
uh, when we talk about worship around here, it's, it's not for ulterior motives. I promise you or I wouldn't be here. Worship around here is important because it's our purpose. Worship around here is a vital, magnificent part of discipleship. If you would rather be in a classroom than in the presence, you're not being discipled. And if your classroom doesn't lead you into the presence, it's not discipleship. Just teaching leads us to the presence. Worship leads us to the presence. We, the wor worship is that they might declare my praise. God wants us to see him, and then he wants to ignite a sound out of our mouth that declares his greatness to all the earth. And that is, that is the purpose for why we exist. So I wanna, I wanna challenge, like Pastor Caleb was saying, hey man, maybe you're wondering why you're here. And guys, I know how it is. I don't know why worship feels a little womanly. I, 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 I think it's because, because Holy Spirit wants to move and, and he, he's, just, he, he's touchy and feely, you know? And that's how he is. He's like, you know, lots of times you take these tests to see what your love language is. It, very interestingly, a lot of guys, th their love language is physical touch. They just don't wanna be touched by God. You know, ah, ah, huh, don't touch me. I, I wanna stay here unmoved. My wife, uh, she's embarrassing, but I, you're not gonna get me to do this. The problem is, is the enemy is, is lying to your heart and he's trying to keep you from being you because you were made to declare the praise of God after you've seen his goodness. You were made to declare his praise, not just feel it here, which you should, but declare it here and worship. So the songs that we sing, what's that, Graves into Gardens? You turn graves into gardens. Beauty to ashes. Am I, am I in the right key? Right. Uh, the, uh, you're the only one who can. What's the chorus on that? You keep getting better, something like that? You're better than everything? Is it, somebody help me. Is that, is that how it goes on that chorus? How, how does it go on the, nothing's better than you. Thanks. it's the first time you've ever talked to me on stage. I appreciate that. So, yeah. Wow. Glory. Woo. I was afraid to ask. Uh, but uh, the, uh, Dude, can you guys, come on, come on, give me some love. <laughs> but worship is, is not only asking or reciting theological facts about God, it's, it's our soul crying, whoa. It's our soul saying there is nothing or no one better than you. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone, I long to worship God. It's nothing, one thing have I asked. In your presence, beholding your glory, asking you questions. I just want to spend my entire life soaking you up. And anything that keeps me from that is an idol. I want you, God. I want you, God. So what does it mean then to, to glorify God? Wrap it up here. Glorifying God is when your life is a reflection of his greatness. When your life is a reflection of his, of his greatness, Jesus was imparting to his disciples this truth. Say, listen, the way that you love one another is gonna be how the world knows that you're from me. You're, you're gonna be a reflection of my perfection. 
You're gonna, your love is, is not gonna be perfect, but it's gonna be a result of my perfect love to you. So listen, love one another. Or the book of Matthew chapter 5, 16 says, so where Jesus says this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we take this verse and we full, uh, fill it full of shame. And we, talk, we, we make it a striving verse. But really what, give, but really what it is, is get around God. We're the moon and he is the sun. He shines on us and we reflect his light. And let people see your, the, the radiance of my glory. And then give, me, give your father glory because they're seeing me and you. John 17, this is, this, where is it? Uh, John 17, chapter, well, it's chapter 17, um, starting with verse 20, Jesus says this, I do not, not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me. You wanna talk about the need for reconciliation and unity in your family and in the body? It's glory that they may all be one just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That I, we, our unity shines to the world that God is amazing. And in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. If there's anybody you're not walking in unity with, I would say, hey, do a glorious thing and get right. But I think that above and intermingled with all of these things, I really believe that God wants to pour out a new hunger for encounters with his heart. And just actually, where we would actually come to him and say, God, like first and foremost, I just want you. I'm just, I'm just hungry from you. You take all of my imperfection and you take all the ways that I'm, I've blown it. And God, I, I need your grace so much, but I just am hungry to know you and to soak in you and to sit with you and to see you, your glory, your perfections, your excellence, your everything. And I believe that that is the context and the framework by which the Holy Spirit begins to change us and rearrange us and make us more like Jesus. It's just, it, it, it starts with the purpose for which you were created. And you were created not for yourself or not for your soulmate. Your soulmate is named Jesus. Let's get that straight. Your soulmate's named Jesus, he's a man. He's named Jesus. And he made you and he formed you and many of us, or actually the Bible says that all of us have gone our own way and turned to ourselves and have wanted, we have wanted the glory and we've wanted to put ourselves on the, on the throne. But the gospel is that Jesus comes after us and he pays for the price of that sin and he welcomes us back through faith. And I'm just wondering this morning uh, how many people um, who have never put their faith in Jesus you, you, you've gone to church, but you don't feel a th you've never felt a thing for him, but you consider yourself a Christian because of your clean living, <laughs> because you tithe, whatever. 
but you consider yourself a Christian not because you actually know Jesus, but just because of what you do. That's called religion, that's called Phariseeism. And here this morning, I'm just wondering if, if maybe, if you would be so bold to say, hey, I've always thought I was a Christian, but I'm not sure that I am. I think that God would meet you in a glorious way. And you'd unlock your heart in a way that you've never known. And I think that there's others of us that we, what we have valued more than Jesus is a safe Christianity where we don't have to look weird. Safety, not glory. It's gotta be safe. It can't, I can't cry because I look weak. Well, you are. Just admit it and let God make you strong. It's, it's, many times it's the opposite of what's true is what we hope. I don't want to look weak. Well, you are weak. You cry and you come to Jesus. He makes you strong. It's your, it's your like, I don't want to lie. Well, you, but you are. Everybody sees it but yourself. Your, your weakness. Just if you would begin to cry and get vulnerable, that's when people would be able to say, no, that is something real perhaps. Not that you would do it for them anyway. You say, just listen. I think some of us just need to say, Jesus would I trust you, not just to save me and get me to heaven, but it is your desire, your prayer to your Father. I want them to see my glory. I want my disciples to see my glory. Well, Jesus, whatever that looks like, that's what I want, because I trust you. I trust you to save me. I'm going to trust you to rearrange me. And I think that when we begin to value what God wants to do, he created you and formed you, and he wants you. And he wants to have complete dominion control over your life. And he wants to tell, he wants to boss you around like a loving dad. Right? As bad as that sounds, it's, it's real. He wants to tell you what to do because his plans for you are so glorious and so wonderful. So, so here's, here's, what I love, here's what I love to do this morning is uh, I just want to invite the leaders of Providence to make themselves available right here across the front. And uh, even now. And then I just want people, maybe you need Jesus and you've never put your faith in him. You, you've been hiding behind a lie of religion that where you're counting on your good life and your works or something other than, than Jesus. And you're counting on something other than Jesus. I think to, this morning is a day of salvation for you where through faith you're gonna come to Jesus. You're gonna repent of all your small loves and you're gonna say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And I'm going to invite you to come in just a moment. And then I'm going to invite other people that you, you want to go deeper. And you've always thought that maybe deeper was, was reading more theological works. But theological works without the glory of God are, are just smart people's thoughts. So I, I, I just, can I just pray this for you? Can you just bow your heads for a moment? Can you begin to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Is this a morning where I actually... Um, let myself cry and I walk to the front and I pray with somebody that's just gonna hug me and love on me? Is this gonna be one of those mornings, God, where I just say, God, whatever you want out of my life, I, I wanna see your glory. I, I wanna encounter you in a deeper way. Is this gonna be one of those mornings, God? And is this gonna be a morning where I, where I, I finally I cave and I finally get over myself and I finally repent of my sin? I finally admit that my whole life has been chasing small loves and not Jesus. And this will be a morning that actually I want to get saved. I'm going to get saved. So God, this morning, I just, I just pray that you would do a real work. This is not one of my smoothest sermons, God, and I don't care. What I care about is that Holy Spirit, that you would come and move in a way that changes us. So God, we just ask you right now just to come and just to move.
and to boggle our minds and to save people and to change people and to make us your holy people who have received, not earned, received righteousness, received grace. We thank you, God. We bless you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.